Today on the podcast, we have Coach Gavin Parker from Cambridge South Dorchester High School in Cambridge, Maryland. And I know you will love hearing from him, hearing his wisdom about offense, defense, his philosophy of building a program. And after a short message from our sponsor, you will hear Coach Parker's wisdom. Coach Parker, welcome to the Mind of a Football Coach podcast. Thanks for having me. Yeah, yeah. Um, coach, you, you coach at a, a, a powerhouse program on the eastern shore of, of Maryland, Cambridge, Cambridge South Dorchester High School. Talk about your background and talk about, um, you know, why you became a coach. Um, so even early in high school, um, you know, I went to school in um, Delaware. Um, I assisted with the local youth programs, and it um, kind of created that passion to, to coach and to lead. Um, when I went to, I went to Salisbury university, um, and played four years of football there. The, uh, assistant head coach there is the, is that guy at Cambridge South Dorchester. So his name's Doug Fleetwood. He was there for 30 odd years, you know, a couple state championships, state semifinals every year. He's that, he's that hall of fame guy that every town's got. Um, when that kind of settled out for him, he went into the college realm um, and just kind of took the last 20 years, I guess, kind of being an assistant head coach down there at Salisbury University running the triple option. So he kind of pushed me, um, pushed me. He kind of gave me an opportunity, gave me an in um, to uh, Dorchester County. Um, once I got here, kind of kicked it off um, with the head football coach at the time, Jake Coleman. We spent uh, a lot of time together. Uh, my first two years here, we did um, win the region championship, which Jake um, had been working hard to get the program back. Um, since Doug, the Hall of Fame coach, had left, you know, the early 2000s um, to the mid-2000s weren't uh, great years for us here at CSD. Uh, so when my predecessor took over, he had a lot of fixing to do. When I came on in 2013 was the first year we won the region, which at that time for Maryland meant that you were in the final four. You had to win two playoff games to win your region. Um, so that meant we were in the final four. We did that in 2013, 2014. That was the first time Jake had, had been able to accomplish that. Once those two years were kind of some, some really good football, the next couple years we were extremely competitive but never really got back over. Um, that hump, you know, how it kind of works out in Maryland is we really focused on winning the region. We felt like that was a very attainable goal for us every year. And then once you got into the final four, you know, then, you know, it kind of – you had to get a little lucky, um, had to play some of your best ball. You could, you could match up with a school from a region that had an off year or there's a couple powerhouses in the small division here. Um, in Maryland, who are perennials, uh, if you if you landed one of them, you know you had your work cut out for you. Um, so, you know, it took probably in 2015. Um, I started taking over some more of the game plan responsibilities offensively. Um, in 2016, at the end of 2016, uh, I began um, calling the plays for the offense. Um, 2017, 
in 2017, I was the offense coordinator for the full year. That was my fifth year. Um, and then um, in 2000, my first season as a head coach was 2000 and gosh, it would have been 2018 season, um, you know. So and then 2019, uh, we won you know, 10 and three, whatever it is, lost in the state semifinals. Um, so, you know, it's just kind of been a long road. Um, very early in my career, um, Jake, Jake, um, me and him had a lot of conversations about where I wanted to be. Um, he had been doing it for 10 plus years at that point um, and kind of felt like he had taken the program to a certain point, but wanted somebody else to kind of be the next guy. Um, you know, he had some, his sons were coming through, were going to be high school age soon. So we had conversations early on on what we would like and how we would like it to play out. I think he recognized something in me, and I'm always be appreciative of that. And he worked really hard to kind of, and, and as a head coach now, I know how hard that is. He kind of worked hard to kind of let go of some things and each year, even early on, maybe 2015, um, he did a good job of, you know, whether he wants to admit it or not, you know, just kind of allowing me to take little things every year. So that way, when I eventually did take over in 2018, I wasn't taking over someone else's program. You know, it was my program and his. We were sitting there together. Um, you know, the offseason, I was running the offseason stuff. You know, in 2017, um, I was organizing things, um, you know, the helmets, the equipment. I was helping with the budgets and those kinds of – all those little things that, you know, if you're not a head coach, you don't really care about. Mm -hmm. You know, he brought me in and, and let me do it. And that kind of, you know, prepared me for, you know, my first season, um, you know, as a head coach. So, you know, I, I'm always grateful that. I mean, at the time – and even then, some people from the outside felt like, you know, he was kind of stepping back and let me do a lot of the work, which is logistically true. But if you think about it, I mean, that's the best way for someone to grow and to make it their own um, is to kind of have that accountability, kind of do those little things. And, and by him doing a little bit at a time, it really didn't overload me with um, – you know, with responsibilities. Yeah, I've always, I've always thought since I became a head coach that if somebody could write a book about how to be a head coach, they'd make a heck of a lot of money. <laughs> you know, like, what, what do you think about that? Like, so you, you step in to being the head coach and being a coordinator. Like, what's the thing that shocked you the most about being a head coach? Um, well, I think when you become a coordinator, when you're a coach – you have to learn how to deal with kids. When you're a position coach, you have to learn how to, to manage and, and, and handle the kids um, and somewhat their parents. But in a good program, the head coach, in my opinion, the head coach controls the message. And if you have assistant coaches who are out talking to not, – not that you don't want assistant coaches talking to parents, but if they're out putting out fires – you know, even though with the best of, ten, of intentions, you know, it creates a lot of, you know, issues because the message may get twisted that the head coach is trying to, to, to say. So as an assistant, you know, it was really just about the kids, very limited parents. Once you become a coordinator, 
now it's the kids and the other coaches. Because now, you know, now you got to have the guy you trust up top. Now you got to have – I don't know where you guys are, but now you got to have the tech guy, you know, who's um, – who's in charge of the, you know, Maryland, we're allowed to use instant replay, who's in charge of the instant replay iPad. Mm-hmm. You know, you got a guy, you know what I mean? You got to deal with people on the staff. Um, and then once you become the head coach, the biggest thing to me, you know, was, you know, and some of you can't teach. You got to be able to talk to people. You got to be able to handle things and build relationships. Um, and that goes, and, and that never ends. That never ends. That's constant. You know, that's, that's a Walmart. You're just trying to pick up some milk, you know, for your family. And somebody wants to stop and talk. You know, that's, you know, my situation. Um, the principal and the superintendent, um, you know, they stay kind of in the loop and uh, will call you every once in a while and just say, hey, how are things going? Um, you know, so you always got to be ready to, to spin the positive and make sure, you know, you can explain every one of your actions. Um, you know, and then, and then, you know, in my area, you know, we have a newspaper and a couple different TV outlets, um, who I work hard to create good relationships with those guys. Um, and then the parents in the community, um, you know, my first year was tough. My first year, uh, I had a, I had a few seniors, um, who thought that they should get more playing time, um. You know, I got called to the office, you know, quite a few times for some parent meetings um, over stuff that shouldn't have been there. Um, you know, just just philosophy stuff, stuff they felt like their kid was wrong to not give them the opportunity. Um, you know, and those were the biggest things. And, and winning solves a lot of those problems. <laughs> when you're winning a lot, you don't get questioned as much. Um, so, obviously, year one, I went seven and four. Um, went seven to three in the regular season and lost in the first round of the playoffs. Um, my second year, we went ten and three. So this past year, we went ten and three, lost to the state semifinals. Uh, didn't get called to the office a whole lot. You know, the community, the parents seem to think I've, you know, in a year I figured out how to coach football. Um, so and that's the biggest thing to me that you can't teach. You know, you could be the greatest. I mean, I, in my area, I mean, I know some guys who knows some X's and O's, who, who, who can work, you know, and, and out-coach people. But if you can't, you know, if you can't handle the parents, can't handle, you know, the, the school aspect of it, can't talk to the kids, you know, it's all for nothing. And it, uh, it shows quickly. Yeah, I think, you know, as a head coach, you got to – you have to be able to set the message like you were talking about and then be able to get people to buy into that. And that can be difficult. Like you, you talked about, but like winning solves that, right. Um, which, which is very true. Uh, so coach talk about, you said you started calling plays, um, as a offensive coordinator first, talk about your offensive philosophy and what you like to do on, on offense. Um, you know, very early on, um, it was instilled in me. Um, we're, we're a run-first team. Uh, we're a rocket motion team. We, we play with one tight end, um, one split end. Um, and, uh, you know, like I said, we're a rocket motion team. Um, heavy play action. Like to throw the ball seven or eight times a game. Um, you know, but we start every year. And 
this year is going to be different. You know, I know we got some bad news here, but this year was going to be different. Here in the future is going to be different. Um, I'm going to allow somebody else, long-time assistant, to call the offense plays. And, you know, we want to start every year with that base offense. Um, now, we call it ace. Um, but, again, like I said, it's a split in, a tight end, you know, wing and an attached slot to a tackle and a fullback, quarterback under center. Um, you know, like I said, rocket motion team. So you got rocket motion toss. You got dive underneath of it. Um, you know, you got your guts, your traps. We have a counter coming backside. Um, we can run rocket motion towards the tight end as well. Um, but we start with that every year um, because to me, you have to have um, you have to have an identity. Mm-hmm. And you know, in my eight years here at CSD, that's been our identity. Um, and that formation, you know, and its slight variations um, pretty much account for, you know, about 60%, 65% of the plays that we run on offense mm-hmm. um, come out of that. Now, the other 45, 40 to 45% um, come off of what the kids can handle. And oh, by installing, you know, what we call our ACE, our rocket motion package, you know, we only have about six or seven plays off of that. Um, and then we have some play actions and some pass plays and things off it. Um, but by installing those, you know, six plays, seven plays, you know, it keeps it simple for the fat boys. Mm-hmm. Okay. It keeps it simple for the offense line. So then everything else we do for the rest of the season is predicated off of those plays. So we can go, you know, like I said, in eight years we have run just about every formation you can think of. If the kids can handle it, we'll explore it and kind of see. Um, You know, early in in 2013, um, 2014, we and Jake kind of fell into some pistol looks. And it really fit the personnel. But out of the pistol looks, we were able to run our exact same base plays, but Hmm. also add on some different things. But it kept things simple for the fat kids. Fat kids. It kept simple for the offensive line. I don't want to offend anybody. (laughs) I love it. I love it. You know, it keeps it simple. So that way when you're installing things mid-season, you don't have to confuse them. They're like, what play is it? I don't even give them a formation. You know, it's dive. Right. Oh, okay. Same dive principles as it is, no matter what the formation is. And I think that's extremely important for us, um, you know, is to keep things simple um, and, and try to utilize the athletes, you know, that we have when we've had, like I said, it, you know, we've always kept that rocket motion core, um, you know, but everything else we've done has been based on the quarterback and been based on the athletes and, w- and what they can handle. I mean, we've had some years where um, we've had some more mobile quarterbacks. Um, we've been able to get into some um, some zone situations. Um, we were some zone, um, you know, schemes. We've gotten into – we've had some quarterbacks who can throw the ball a little bit, and we've been able to not necessarily lean on play action as much, but been able to kind of stretch the field um, and, and, and do some different things. So – you know, that's kind of where we're at. But at the end of the day, again, you know, 
I, I gave someone this example the other day. I can't remember what the question was. Um, but, you know, in the regional final game this past year, which it's not they, – they've reclassified the things. Mm-hmm. But that's how I call it. It's the state quarterfinals. So, on the road in the state quarterfinals in Baltimore, which Cambridge South Dorchester hasn't won uh, a road playoff game in Baltimore or across the bridge, essentially, mm-hmm. meaning on the western shore of Maryland. We haven't won on the western shore of Maryland for a playoff game since, like, 96. Mm-hmm. So it's been a while, you know, and mm-hmm. so while or we're up maybe three with the ball, they fumble it, whatever, you know, we need to keep the ball from them, you know, and what do we do? We don't get fancy. We literally ran our four or five base plays, didn't throw the ball. We ran exactly, we ran the five plays that we installed the first week of camp. You know, and that's what we did. And we drove like 70 yards and scored. And, you know, there were some 10-yard gains in there, but they were five and six-yard pops. And it was rocket motion. It was counter. It was dive. It was gut. We flipped the formation. We'd do it some different ways. You know, we would just we would just keep it moving and keep the chains moving, you know, and we just we just locked in on that first week of camp material because at the end of the day, it was an extremely stressful situation for the kids. Mm-hmm. You know, they know it. We're on the road, right? Hostile environment. We're up by three, you know, late in the fourth. Like, we got to keep the ball and we got to score to put this thing away. Um, and we do, you know. And that's just kind of – that kind of cements, in my mind, the, the purpose of, you know, having, you know, that core value of having that formation or having that, you know – you know, for some guys, it's the wing tee or whatever. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Having that and making sure that it's the first thing you install every year. And, and it continues because now we've got the youth programs all running that same stuff. You know, obviously the JV program, you know, it's just all – it's all connected. And it just – it just when you think about it, it kind of gives you chills. You know, that's the reason why you do it. Um, you know, and, and then that's – you know, other than that, offensive philosophy-wise, you know, I like to kind of stay aggressive. Um, you know, I like to make sure, you know, that my best athlete touches the ball a lot. Um, and I normally have quite a few good athletes. Um, but there's normally one um, this past year. Um, it was our star running back, you know, 1,400 yards rushing or whatever he had. Um, you know, just making sure he was – he was touching the ball, even in, even in uh, you know, tough situations. You know, I was always taught players, not plays. And, um, you know, that helps keep things a little bit simple on the play sheet. Um, you know, I'm not a, I, don't, I don't have a real big play sheet. Um, but, you know, if I, if, I, if I have that mindset, players, not plays, you know, then, you know, I can go from there and recognize – you know, who are the kids that I need to make sure touch the ball to make good things happen? I don't try to overthink the situation, um, you know. But it, it is generic things, too. Second and short, you know, on the other on, on the opponent's side of the 50, I'm normally running. I, I'm, I'm, I'm taking a shot, mm-hmm. you know. If you don't know that about me as an opposing coach, then you ain't watched any film. <laughs> <laughs> That's the reality, you know. And you got to know you're predictable. I, I'm not every time, but – you know, I'm I'm pretty I'm pretty consistent with it. Um, 
you know, and, and, and those are just the kind of things, you know, that we do. You know, we've been very fortunate here. Um, you know, at CSD, we have a lot of athletes, and uh, you know, that kind of makes – it kind of makes things simple. You know, when you got some horses in the stable, you know, it, it certainly helps. Um, makes things a little bit easier as a coach, I can tell you that. No doubt. Coach, how do you get plays in? Are you a wristband, huddle, signal guy? How do you, how do you go about that? <laughs> I've learned some hard lessons. Um, we currently, the most productive, um, the most productive way that we have is my quarterback has a wristband with 30 plays um, that have a letter and a number next to them. Hmm. Now, those are traditionally the 30 plays that we have game plan for, meaning those are the 30 plays that we've run on team during team time, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. So there are the 30 plays on Sunday that I've sat down when I've created the playlist. I said, these 30 plays are what I think we're going to have success with. With that being said, you know, I, you know, the quarterback comes to me. Okay. He starts, he starts the team huddles and he starts walking towards me. I'm looking at my play sheet, you know, the longtime assistant, um, you know, would handle substitutions. You know, he's going to be the offense coordinator this year. So it's going to be a little bit different. We're going to figure that out as we go. Um, you know, I might handle substitutions while he's handling the play calls. But, you know, we would substitute anybody we would need to. But the quarterback's walking to me. I'm looking at my play sheet. He normally stops you know, somewhere around the hash um, or comes, you know, maybe a little bit closer and he's looking at me and I'll give him either the number or the letter or I'll tell him something different or okay. I'll, I'll have a kid running. You know, now our two minute, we have four two minute plays. Um, that's all hand signaled. Um, the offensive line knows what it is. It's only four plays, um, you know, four different passing concepts. Essentially they're mirror routes. You know, but I'll hand signal those in so everybody can see them uh, for time purposes. Um, in 2017, we went no huddle. Um, I was the offense coordinator at that time, and we created a system um, where – I'm trying to think exactly how we did it. We did it because our kids we, – we were getting an advantage um, versus some programs that didn't have as much depth as us. So we were trying to go up tempo. Um, so at, at that point, every kid had a wristband, um, and we only had certain plays on it. Okay. So that we kept sense. it simple. It wasn't completely no huddle, you know. But if we wanted to go tempo, it limited the the playbook. But it, you know, we felt like it gave us a little bit of an advantage there. Um, but again, that kind of that kind of fizzled out. We kind of realized that it, that. We don't have, you know, super depth anyway. Um, so we were kind of seeing some lack of production on the defensive side when we were kind of going too much up-tempo. Um, so we just felt like if we got better getting in and out of the huddle, you know, we might see some of the same results, you know, as going that true, you know, up-tempo style. That's good, Coach. That's awesome. Talk about your defense philosophy, how that morphs with your, with your offense philosophy. So defensively, in the last two years, we hired a defense coordinator. He's an odd front guy, um, you know, did some two-gapping. He came from a bigger school with some bigger offensive linemen, did some two-gapping. 
Um, but, you know, obviously in his second year was his past year. He, he recently left, uh, took a head coaching job. Um, but he realized, I think, that, you know, we could do a little bit more shooting gaps mm-hmm. um, in, that, in that situation. Uh, my personal defensive philosophy, you know, is an underfront guy. Um, you know, I like gap control. You know, I like to assign everyone a gap, regardless of what the call is. Um, and I like to utilize guys. Um, normally, like I said, we've been lucky. A couple, we, we get a couple guys who can go both ways. Um, you know, but we've been able to to kind of, you know, as a one A school, a small school, we've been able to try to get, you know, maybe three to to four. I mean, a few years, five or six, so almost half of our guys could be one-way guys. Oh, that's um, awesome. Which, yeah, which is impressive. But I think it's a testament to what we try to do. We try to find a role for everyone. We're not afraid to try something. Uh, we've got running backs as D-linemen. We've got, you know, um, depending on the week, we can put D-linemen as outside linebackers to help stuff a tight end. Um, for those kinds of things. So, you know, my defensive, you know, philosophy, I guess, is, is to be extremely versatile, to be extremely aggressive, um, you know, and to blitz a lot. You know, I mean, that's that's where we're at. We have the athletes to play man. Not everyone does. <laughs> and, I, and I fully understand that. Um, but we have the athletes to play man. Do we play it perfectly? No. I mean, show me a high school team that plays man perfectly and I'll – I'll tell you a liar, you know, <laughs> that's just reality. Um, you know, now we do have some zone concepts mixed in, you know, but we have the ability to play man um, and to do it fairly well, um, to be aggressive um, with our inside linebackers. Our outside linebackers are typically edge guys, uh, wrestlers, um, guys who are, who are violent with their hands. Like I said, our D linemen are, our D linemen are extremely um, different. Hmm. You know, we can find a big kid who we can get a rep out of. You know, we can get a small kid in there and get a rep out of them. Mm-hmm. Um, we've traditionally done like some uh, some series uh, groups. You know, where we group the the D linemen together and we say series one, series two, series three to try to get you know five, six defensive linemen in there rotating around. Um, you know, our inside linebackers, we've had success with um, with one – I don't, I don't want to offend anybody, but we normally have one phenomenal athlete and, <laughs> and, and who's a blitzer, and then we have a reader. I'll right. say that. We have a blitzer and a reader. And our blitzer is our aggressive guy. He's going hard. He's quick. He's not afraid of anything. He's, he's agile. He's getting after it. He's a he's a he's a pretty darn good tackler. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, our reader is our best reader. It's that he's the guy. He's the captain. He's the guy who's getting the play call in. He's shuffling the defensive lineman. You know, making the adjustment, and then you know he's either reading guards or back. Mm-hmm. You debate know, based on the week. Um, our secondary guys. You know, with the underfront, we, you know, we got a flex guy, too. You know, some people call him a strong safety. You know, people call him dogs. Um, you know, he's normally a, a fullback type guy. You know, he can slide in as a linebacker if need be, or he can cover the flats if we need him to. 
you know, and then a free safety is normally a roamer. Um, most of the time it's that best athlete, you know, on offense, mm -hmm. um, you know, but we've been able to get away with some younger kids who can just play the ball, you know, if we're in some kind of um, some zone look. And then our corners are normally strong. They're normally great athletes um, who are not afraid of much, who love competition, who aren't going to be afraid to get beat. Because mm -hmm. um, that's what we're looking for. Everybody gets beat. Everybody gets, you know, what they call it now. I call it Moss, but they call it Odell now. Or, or <laughs> there you go. Whatever the kids call it now. Um, you know, they're not afraid of that, which is tough because that's a tough concept even for a grown man to get beat and then come back. You know, we work really hard to try to beat our kids in practice with certain things. And then, you know, for lack of a better term, we let them know they get beat. We let them know that they just lost. We let them, we're not sugarcoating anything. You just got beat. What are you going to do about it? Mm -hmm. Fight in that, that don't make much sense, does it? You know, no. Like, it, it, what are you going to do about it? You're going to line back up? You're going to make an adjustment? You're going to come over and talk to your coach? Like, what are you going to do? Mm -hmm. You know, and, and we try to be as aggressive as possible in that sense and create that kind of environment during certain periods, not every period of practice, to just make sure that the kids are already starting to mentally flip that page in a game-time situation. Because as an offensive guy, I can tell you, when I beat a quarter once, I'm going right back at him again because I'm a tester. He's either going, he's either going to hang his shoulders, you know, and he's going to he's going to sulk, or he's going to man up and decide he's going to make an, uh, an adjustment to mm -hmm. to what has happened. So we try to take that philosophy as an offensive coordinator and apply it to a defense coordinator to try to make sure, you know, that we're you know being proactive in that sense to create that kind of environment for the kid. That's awesome, Coach. Coach, you. You've given a ton of nuggets. I, I love it. Uh, as we wrap this thing up, talk about like a nugget for a, a young coach who wants to become a coordinator or a head coach. What's something that you wish you knew early, earlier in your career? Well, I can tell you, I wish I would have been more holistic. Um, you know, it was always told to me, my predecessor – tried to force me into it but we've always been blessed here um at csd to have some some bigger staffs so it created some one way kind of development um and when there was someone else leading the defensive line or leading the linebackers i didn't necessarily pay as much attention as i should have early um to get that holistic kind of view um because one thing that I was taught early, and I never got the opportunity, but the best way to become a great offense coordinator is to become a defense coordinator. Mm -hmm. You know, because then you realize what you hate to game plan against. Um, you know, and that's, and that's the reality. So, you know, my suggestion would be to, to sit there and, and, and to make sure that you're getting that holistic approach. Um, you know, the clinics are a big thing. You know, but one thing that was also taught to me is don't, you know, don't become a clinic, you know, obsessor. Mm -hmm. Don't go to the clinics and bring everything back and try to install it to your program. You got to take the clinic and you got to take each session in the clinic and try to write down one thing and then take a couple of days. Don't think about the clinic. Then come back and look at your notes 
and say, all right, out of all this list, what are a few things that may be able to help us? Right. Because the number one thing that I've learned quickly is that guys who come in and who try to change the world, you know, let's say Rome wasn't built in a day, you know, they try to change the world. You know, I even know some veteran coaches who will learn something at a clinic and they'll try to apply it to their whole team. And that's when you start losing your identity, you know, and you don't have that, that grasp on who you are. Win, loss, or draw, who are you and what are you going to become? Like I said, offensively, defensively, special teams-wise, like, you know, we know exactly who we are, you know, as a staff. Like, like I said, I'll go to a clinic and look to see if there's something that I can supplement offensively for that other 40% of my offense. Like, what is something that I could use or, or could it fit with us or whatever? You know, defensively, what is something, you know, that – what is something that, you know, I see in my conference, you know? Mm-hmm. I love some people, but they're, you know, they'll be like, oh, well, you know, how do you stop the wing tee? Well, I don't think about the wing tee because there's not a wing tee team on my program, on my schedule. <laughs> right. Like, I know what the wing tee is, but it's been, you know what I mean? It's, there's one wing team, wing tee team in the whole conference, and they're a big school. So we see them once every six years, mm. you know, like on the rotation. So, like, I'm sorry. Like, I don't care. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah, of course. <laughs> They're not on my schedule. Like, we don't, you know, we don't worry about it. And the other thing that I would say, you know, just to focus on the clinic piece, because I think clinics are important, but nothing is more frustrating than to go to a clinic and listen to guys who come out of, like, the big-time Division One or, or NFL position drill meetings and talk, like, oh, we're going to make our kids do this. I think, you know, the biggest thing is you got to have a perspective on who you are and what your kids are capable of and then go from there. Like I have stopped and I'm a little bit veteran now. I'm not extremely veteran, but I've stopped going to NFL offensive linemen and D1 offensive linemen, you know, clinic sessions. Why? Because none of my kids are six foot seven, 300 pounds. Right. They're not like I love listening to high school coaches and clinics. Like that's where you get the nuggets. You know, that's that guy's, you know, that guy has to recruit his own school just like you. That guy's got a guard who's 175 pounds, not six foot six, 340, and can bench press 500. But you know what I mean? It's just, you know, those are the guys I think who are a little bit more tried and true who might be able to apply more, you know, to the program. Coach, that's awesome, man. You're, you are full of wisdom, and I really appreciate you coming on. Thank you for taking your time to, to share your wisdom with us, Coach. No problem, buddy. Anytime. Awesome. This one will go up soon, listeners. Thank you, Coach. Thank you.